Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Welcome to Ben's Bible Podcast. I'm Ben Burkhart, your host, and on this podcast, we share refreshing and faith-building biblical truths. I hope you'll plan to join us on a regular basis. God bless you, and let's jump in to this week's episode. We have a special message today, looking at the first angel of Revelation 14 and righteousness by faith. What does the Bible say about these important topics that really deal with our salvation, very directly with our salvation, and with God's plans for our lives, even looking at that in a last-day context in Bible prophecy? So we want to invite the Holy Spirit to guide us here as we open up His Word together. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this morning. We are truly blessed to be here And we are excited about studying your word, Lord. We know that you have hidden many gems of truth, many treasures for life in the scriptures. And so we pray that you would uncover to our hearts and minds today those incredible truths of the Bible that we might be changed by your spirit and by your power working in us. Lord, may you guide us today to know your message to our hearts and minds. And may we be receptive to your voice. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Revelation 14 is the chapter we were reading from this morning. Revelation 14, and we, we read there verses 6 and 7, looking at what is known as the first angel, the first angel's message. There are, in fact, three particular messages in this chapter of Revelation 14. And we have to know just a little bit about the context of these messages before we go and explore some of the details of the first angel's message. And what we find is that Revelation 14 is a chapter regarding the sealing, in other words, the preparation of God's people before the return of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the messages in Revelation 14 are the messages that prepare the entire world for the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. Now, we're here today because we believe and we know that Jesus came once already, that He was here 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to this world. But Jesus told us something. He said, I will come again. And when Jesus comes again, we want to be ready to be with Him, to be a part of His everlasting kingdom, the perfect kingdom, no troubles or problems with politics like we have in our world today, but the perfect kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is giving us the message that will prepare our hearts and our minds to be in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we have wonderful, powerful messages that help to prepare us for that. Now we're going to see this context. Let's take a look for just a moment at Revelation chapter 7. If you have your Bibles there, we're going to be looking at scriptures. Revelation chapter 7, and this one tells about a special seal that God's people need to receive in the last days. Revelation 7 verse 3, the Bible says, 
saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. The Bible talks about a special seal for God's people in the last days, just before the coming of Jesus. Now, this is significant because it also comes up again in Revelation chapter 14, the same chapter presenting these angel messages for the world. Let's turn back to Revelation 14. We're going to look at the first verse of Revelation 14, and it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, who is the lamb being referenced here? It's Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for us and that through His blood our sins are taken away. Praise the Lord. That Jesus paid the price for our sin, that we don't have to pay it if we receive by faith what He has done for us. And so the Bible says that those who overcome in the last days, those who receive the seal of God in their foreheads, they follow the Lamb and they stand together with Jesus. They stand together with the Lamb. We need to be those people who stand together with Jesus no matter what. The Bible says that they have, in this case, the Father's name written in their foreheads. So, Revelation 7 talked about the seal of God in their foreheads. Revelation 14 speaks about the Father's name in our foreheads. Now, name is connected in Scripture with character. When God proclaimed His name before Moses, He proclaimed the attributes of His character, who He is. And so the Bible says that we are sealed with the Father's name written in our foreheads. We are sealed with the character of God. That we follow the Lord and we follow Jesus wherever He goes. Revelation 14 describes God's people following Jesus wherever He goes. And there's a lot of voices in this world, right? There's a lot of things that would call us this way or call us that way, but the voice we most especially need to tune into and listen to is the voice of Jesus, the words of God. We need to follow how He's leading us, how He is instructing us, and make sure that that voice is the most clear and distinct voice in our minds, that we would follow Jesus, the Lamb, wherever He goes, as we see in Revelation 14 and verse 4. So, with that in mind, what else follows these angels? Verse 6 and 7 is angel number 1. Verse 8 is angel message number 2. Verses 9 through 11 is angel message number 3. And what follows these messages? Well, the Bible says in verse 14 of Revelation 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So he's got a golden crown, and he's the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Christ. Christ. Jesus is the Son of Man. The Bible says that in these verses he is pictured coming in the clouds of heaven. He has a sickle in his hand. Now, I don't know how many of us still use sickles today. We probably use big tractors and all kinds of equipment to harvest things, but a sickle was a knife that they would use to cut the grain. They would use to take the harvest. And you don't go taking the harvest before it grows up and matures. It has to ripen. The harvest has to be ripe. Revelation 14 closes with a picture of Jesus coming to harvest the earth, to harvest what is ripe.
And the Bible says in verse 15, another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Jesus talks about a harvest and the end of the world. He talks about a wheat harvest and he says, unfortunately, there's also a lot of tares which are, is another word for weeds. There's a lot of weeds. Now, you don't want to keep the weeds, but you obviously want the grain. You want the harvest. And so the Lord gets rid of those weeds, and He only takes the good grain, the harvest, which is ripe and ready to be picked. That's the, the wheat harvest that we want to be a part of. And in this chapter, it tells us, in fact, that there are two ripe harvests. There's the harvest of the ripe wheat that Jesus describes in the Gospels, and there is the other harvest of the grapes. Have you ever heard of the grapes of wrath? Anyone ever heard of that? <laughs> the grapes of wrath? That expression comes straight from the Bible, straight from this chapter. The Bible says that grapes are harvested, which are prepared to receive God's wrath. So that vine is is ripe and ready too but that's the vine of wickedness that's not something that we want to be a part of so the bible tells us that immediately following the proclamation of the three angels messages the two harvests of the world are ripe for the picking there's one harvest for jesus and his kingdom and there's another harvest that has rejected the good news of jesus they have rejected the message of christ they have rejected the words of god's truth they want to follow their way and not follow Jesus. They have chosen that they don't want Jesus to be their king. And the Bible says that they receive what they have chosen, that they will not be a part of God's kingdom. So the three angels' messages in Revelation are very, very important for us to understand because these three angels, in fact, are the message from God that prepares the world for the coming of Jesus. Revelation 14, verse 6. Let's take a look at the message that God has there in the first angel. In particular, we're going to look at the message of righteousness by faith, which is in the first angel's message. So let's take a look at some of the elements that are found here in this or these verses. Verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. So, as you can see from this message, these three angels' messages are something that God wants the entire world to hear. Okay? Nobody should be left out. So if you're here this morning studying these messages, you're in the right place. Because God wants you and I to hear these messages. The Bible says they're for every people, every language, every nation, every tribe and kindred. God wants all the world to hear these messages in preparation for the return of Jesus, for the coming of Jesus. Very important messages of prophecy. Now, did you see anything in that verse about the gospel? Was there anything there? I think that was like the main thrust of it, wasn't it? It said that the angel has 
the everlasting gospel to preach unto those who dwell on the earth. The good news of Jesus must be preached to all the world. Without Jesus, there is no message here, right? We can't study Bible prophecy without Jesus being right at the center of it. Jesus is at the heart of these messages. The gospel is right there. Now, I have a statement that comes from the year 1890. That's been a little while, hasn't it? It's been a little while since 1890, and yet the words spoken are just as important today as they ever were. And so, from this, this message, it actually comes from a publication called The Review and Herald, April 1st, 1890. And this is what is written. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity, which means most certainly, yes, righteousness by faith or justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. Now, sometimes when you say third angel's message, it could refer to the third angel itself or it could refer to the package of three. Um, however you want to look at it. But as you look at these angel messages, what you will notice is that the message of righteousness by faith or justification by faith, it runs right through them all. It runs right in the heart of them all. Because you can't have a counterfeit, like you see in angel number two, without the true. But that would be another lesson to look, to look at. But this message of righteousness by faith runs right through the heart of all three angels. So, we have the everlasting gospel, the good news of Jesus, that needs to be preached to the entire world so that people can, can prepare for the coming of Jesus and have their hearts softened and have their hearts made right by the blood of the Lamb. We want to celebrate that today. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus. He gave His life for us on Calvary. And this is a powerful message that the Lord has shared with us right here. So, what are some of the important elements about this first angel's message? Number one, it's a highly visible message. The Bible says the angel is flying in the midst of heaven. Now, if you want to get something that's visible, put it up in the sky, right? <laughs> if you put it on the ground, it might hide behind a mountain or a building or something of that nature. But if you put it up in the sky, everybody's going to see it a whole lot easier. And so this angel's message is highly visible. God does not want it to be hidden under a bushel. He wants it to be right up there where everyone can see the message. Very important to have a highly visible message. Next, we see that it is the everlasting gospel. It never goes out of date. It's always present truth. It's always vital. It's always important. The everlasting gospel is timeless truth for every generation. Can you say amen to that? The gospel is not out of date. Praise the Lord. This is present truth today. And so we need the everlasting gospel in our lives today. And of course, the gospel is righteousness by faith, justification by faith, most definitely. And we will look at that a bit more coming up. So we also find that this is global proclamation. It's not just, um, you know, here are some people in Shattuck, and I'm glad that the message is coming to Shattuck, praise the Lord. <laughs> but this message is global of importance, and in proclamation scale, it needs to reach the entire world. That's what the Bible says. The gospel needs to reach the entire world. Everyone needs to hear 
the good news as it is in Jesus. Very, very important. And it's also spoken with a loud voice. Did you notice that in verse 7? He says with a loud voice. Sometimes we just have a whisper, right? Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about the gospel? We don't want to just whisper this message. We want it to be a loud message. We want to make sure that everybody hears this message. God himself wants everyone to know it. He wants to make sure that we hear it, that we see, that we know, that we hear, that we experience this message in our lives. Now the Bible says that we are called to give glory to God in verse 7. As it, as it shares more on the message, it says, first of all, fear God and give Him glory. Fearing God has to do with reverencing God, respecting God, and following God. Right? God calls us to follow Him. Proverbs 16.6 6 says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, or sin is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. So when the Bible says fear God, what is God really calling humanity to do? The Bible says that we are called to depart from evil. To depart from evil. The gospel is a powerful message that transforms our lives, doesn't it? It changes who we are. God is calling us away from the things in this world that pull us down, that hurt people, which is sin. God is calling us to follow His way of righteousness, His way of truth. And so when the Bible says fear God, it's asking us to depart from evil, to repent of our sins, and to follow Jesus. This is the message of the first angel, fear God and give glory to Him. All the praise must go to God. Matthew 5.16 says these words, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus wants the gospel light, the gospel experience in your life, in my life, to shine out to the world and ultimately to bring glory to God. We didn't just pick up a self-help book down at the library or down at Barnes & Noble. We didn't pick up a self-help book and start reading, how can I just be a better person? Is that what the gospel is, just be a better person? Or is it something much more profound, much more transformative, much deeper than that? The Bible tells us it's much deeper than that, that the gospel is transformative at the level of the heart the level of the soul, what you and I love, what we live for, what we believe in. This is where the gospel hits us, right in the heart. God wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to change everything. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. It's not just behavior modification, a little self-help here and there. Instead, it's transformation of character, transformation of heart, so that we can learn to be like Jesus, that we can love Him and choose to serve Him. This is God's message of hope for the world today. God's message of salvation for the world today is a transformative gospel experience. It changes the way we live so that Jesus can tell us, let your light shine before the world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Because they see not you doing something, but they see God doing something in your life. Can you say amen to that? 
that God is doing something in our lives. This is the experience of the gospel. It's powerful. It changes us. And so Jesus has called us to shine for him, to give glory to his name. The message continues to say, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. The Bible is calling us to worship God who created us. And that's very important to know that God has made us, we did not make God. A lot of people today in the world think that human beings made God. Yeah, they just wrote that book back there, the Bible, and now they want everyone to follow their religion. And You've heard this before. <laughs> the world is talking like this. And, oh, you know, people just invented God, and they have a God over there in India, or I should say about a million gods. They have a whole bunch. <laughs> And they've got this God over there, you know, of the, of the Islamic community and the Christian God. No, 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 no. The real God, the living God, is one. And the living God made us, we did not make Him. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we want to make God in our image after our likeness instead of God making us in His image after His likeness. You see the difference? God is holy, and He wants us to be holy too, like Him. But too often, we want to invent, we want to invent our own God who uh, you know, does it like we like to do it. And so the Bible says you must give glory to God, fear Him, worship Him who made everything. The call to worship the Creator is vital. The Bible says the hour of God's judgment has come. It's right now. God wants us to get ready right now. We're living in the last days of earth's history. Do you believe that? The prophecies of the Bible tell us that it is so. We are living in the last days. Now, I want to take you for a moment over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. The Bible here presents the gospel in a very powerful way, and it also lines up perfectly with the message of the first angel in Revelation. So after the book of Acts, you have the Gospels and then you have Acts. You should be able to find Romans there in your Bibles this morning. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. We're looking now at verse 15 to 17 where Paul describes the nature of the Gospel, the power of the Gospel. In Romans 1 verses 15 through 17, this is what it says. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Notice Paul had a burden on his heart. It wasn't a burden for just one small community, although every small community had its great importance. Every place was important. But the message had to reach more than just one locality. The message had to reach the world. And Paul had a burden on his heart from God to share the gospel, to be a missionary. Would that God would put that burden on all of our hearts, amen? That we would have that burden to share the good news with the whole world. That we'd have that, that burden from the Lord. So Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And the way the world talks today, oh, they'll do everything to make you feel ashamed of the gospel, if possible. To say, you believe that Bible? Do you believe those things? How foolish. How could you believe that? 
And so people are saying all sorts of things today to try to make people feel ashamed of the gospel. Now, I'm not ashamed of the gospel today. Are you? Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and me so that we could live, so that we could have life. He paid our debt. He gives us his reward. That's precious. So Jesus died on the cross because of our sins, not because of him. And so Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is not a mere theory. It's not just a good idea. It's not a philosophy written in a textbook somewhere or talked about by a bunch of Greek guys 2,000 years ago. Okay? The gospel is a living reality in our lives. The gospel is the power of God at work in our hearts. We need the power. The Bible talks about people in the last days who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They have a bunch of rituals and you know, religious things that they do, but they have denied the power of the Lord, the power of the gospel that changes our lives, it transforms us. We want the power today, amen? We want the gospel today. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For the gospel to work in our lives, there has to be something mixed with it. And what is that? It's a word that starts with the letter F. Faith. 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 We need faith. We need to believe. This is righteousness by faith. We must have faith for God's gospel to take hold in our lives. We must believe the Lord. We must believe His promises. We must believe in the power of God. Believe in Jesus and what He's done for us. And as we accept by faith what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross 2,000 years ago in giving His life to pay for our sins that we might live because He has purchased life for us, that gospel we must know, we must believe, and receive it into our hearts. Not just a mere mental assent, although the mind must agree, but it has to be an acceptance with the heart that you come to know Jesus, that you come to fall in love with Jesus, that He is a living reality in our lives today, that we sense and we know His presence in our lives, that we know His power in our lives. God wants us to experience that today, the power of God at work in us. This is the everlasting gospel that the scriptures speak about, the gospel, and it is transformative. He mentions to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So obviously the Jews carried the scriptures with them and this message, Messiah came through the Jewish nation, but it doesn't matter. We can be from any nation and the gospel still applies to us. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Justification by faith is the gospel message. Righteousness of God, the righteous, uh, righteousness of Christ, this is the message, right? Righteousness by faith, by believing in Jesus, we experience His righteousness. His perfect life stands in place of our imperfect life. We've committed a bunch of sins. Wouldn't it be good to know that all of those sins are forgiven? 
that God has washed away those sins, that He's given us a clean slate, that's powerful. Because the perfect life of Jesus, His perfect record, stands in place of our imperfect one. We're covered by the righteousness of Christ through faith. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ through faith. We don't have to do a bunch of meritorious works and try to earn our way and say, well, Lord, if I can just get good enough, someday you'll receive me. That's not the gospel. It's not how it works. We're saved by the righteousness of Jesus, which is perfect. Anything less than perfect righteousness is not good enough. And so Christ gives us His righteousness in place of our faulty righteousness because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. What a wonderful gift the Lord gives us in these promises. What a wonderful gift is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of His perfect life, we can experience life forever. We can live through Jesus. He gives us His reward. He took our reward. He died on the cross. We should have died. He took our reward. And He gave us His reward and His perfect righteousness in place of our own imperfect righteousness. This is righteousness by faith. We receive it by faith. And we stand justified before God. We stand at peace with God because we've received what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. We stand at peace with God. Isn't that a good thing to know that today you can have peace with God by trusting in Jesus, by believing in Jesus? That is a powerful, powerful message. And the Bible tells us that this gospel, the power of God unto salvation, it transforms our lives. We talk about righteousness being um, imputed or put on our behalf. And then righteousness imparted, which means righteousness shared. That through a relationship with Jesus, because Jesus is righteous, because Jesus is holy, through Jesus living in our hearts, we become changed. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, we become transformed. We learn from Jesus how to live a righteous life. Have you ever learned a habit from a friend? Anyone here ever learned a habit from a friend? I know I have. Some of those habits we've learned are not good, right? Or they weren't good. Hopefully we've ditched the bad ones. <laughs> but, you know, we learn things from people we associate with, from people we connect with. And we want to learn what's right. We want to learn what's good. And when we connect with Jesus and Jesus lives in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, then we begin to experience His holy way of living. He changes our desire so that we actually want what is good for us. He transforms us. His presence is with us. We start to become more like Jesus the more that we hang out with Jesus, the more that we live every day with Jesus. We become more like Him. That is the righteousness of Christ being imparted in our lives. So it's transformative. The gospel changes us. And the Bible says here that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. How is it revealed? Because Jesus is changing us day by day. Because the Lord is making us a new creature through Christ Jesus. This is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has power in it. And from faith to faith, we see the evidence that God is at work doing something in our lives. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Jesus has purchased salvation for us on the cross. Jesus wants to walk with us and us to walk with Him so that we learn from Jesus to live a new life. Jesus lives out His life 
within us. Self must die. Self must be put on the cross and crucified, spiritually speaking. And let Jesus be on the throne of our hearts. Let Jesus be the leader of our life every day and not self. This is what must happen. We surrender to God. We surrender to Jesus. We let Him be the leader of our lives. That He will guide us in every way. He will give us wisdom for making the right decisions in this life. This is the gospel in our lives, a living reality, an experience of the power of God. From faith to faith, it is revealed. As we begin to believe and experience Jesus in our lives, things start changing. Our life starts changing because we learn from Jesus and we experience a different way of life. That is the power of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. Now the Bible tells us in the next verse that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against those who hold the truth but live in unrighteousness. And that is the sad saga of our world today. Many people have been hurt because we might say, well, yeah, I know God, I believe in God and everything else, but we don't really choose to connect with God and we just start wandering in our own paths instead of walking with Jesus. The Bible says people unfortunately hold the truth of God in unrighteousness and God's wrath is revealed. Sounds like judgment to me. <laughs> Sounds like the message of the first angel in Revelation 14, right? That God will hold us accountable for the decisions and the choices that we will make. Furthermore, the chapter continues. I'll just pick out a couple thoughts here and we'll be able to um, close shortly. It tells us here from verses 19 through 24 a little bit more about that experience. It says in verse 19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it to them. So as we experience the gospel and faith in Jesus and our life is changed, we're able to share with others something about the love of Jesus, something about the transformative power of Jesus in our lives. People look at us and they'll say, well, you believe in Jesus? What has he done for you? How has he touched your life? How has he changed your life? And they start to see that, you know, maybe there's a difference when you know Jesus. There's something different about it. And so we're able to share, but unfortunately many have shared a bad example or testimony because they haven't really followed Jesus. They merely assented to the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the invisible things of God are revealed in creation. It says, from the creation of the world, these things are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Does the Bible here mention creation like it does in the first angel of Revelation 14? Yes or no? It mentions creation right here. The Bible says that if you go out and spend some time in nature, you'll start learning some things about God from nature. We need to know and believe that God is our Creator. If we reject the message of God is our Creator, Christ is our Creator, like the Bible says, if we reject that and we follow what the world is promoting today in textbooks like history and science and every other field, they're just really incorporating a different reality. If we embrace the world's message and forget the Bible's message, we're going to be in trouble spiritually. The Bible tells us there are very serious implications if we misunderstand who God is. Because if God is a God who creates by evolution, He's not a perfect God. He already had the process of death and all kinds of things in that evolutionary scenario. That's not a loving God. That's not an all-powerful God. 
that's not a perfect and righteous God. That's just the God of chance, the God of some dismal process that, you know, just comes about through a lot of pain and suffering and trial and error over time. That is not the God of the Bible. If we misunderstand who God is in the Bible, we will misunderstand His character and we won't be like Him in character and we won't receive the right seal of God in our foreheads, the name and character of God. Because we've misunderstood who God is. The, the Bible says God is love. If God is love and God is perfect, He cannot be the same, in the same picture with evolution. That's not a God of love. And so the Bible tells us you must worship God as the creator of everything, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. We must know Him as a creator. We can learn from nature. Wow, God is love. The message that the Bible gives is written in nature also. And so the Bible calls us with this gospel proclamation to worship the Creator. And do you know what's special here this morning? We're worshiping on the seventh day of the week, um, Saturday. We believe in the Bible Sabbath. But you know the origins of that? The Sabbath actually goes back to the creation week. And the Sabbath is a perpetual reminder that God has made us, that God has created us, and God loves us. But you know, it goes one step further. The Sabbath is a special sign in the New Testament of the gospel and righteousness by faith. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 describes the seventh day. It says God spoke about the seventh day in a certain way. And he said that God ceased from his works. Let me see if I can read you that verse. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest has also ceased from what? His works. Yes, ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. We're talking about righteousness by faith. It doesn't happen by unbelief. Unbelief will get us nowhere good. We need faith. We need belief in the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says here that the seventh day Sabbath, when God rested from His own works, is the perfect illustration of righteousness by faith. As we worship the Creator God, we, we also realize that God has saved us not by our own works, but by His own works, that Jesus lived a perfect life to give us His perfect righteousness in place of our imperfect righteousness. Therefore, every seventh day Sabbath is a reminder that we worship the Creator and we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, righteousness by faith. Isn't that powerful? Righteousness by faith. This message is all over in the first angel of Revelation 14. We must experience salvation through Jesus, through faith in Him, what He has already done for us. When God made people back at the beginning on day six, God did all the work. And then He said, now, I'm going to rest on the seventh day. Why don't you come along with me? Why don't you rest with me? And so on day seven, they just said, all right, God, whatever you want to do, let's do that. And so they rested with God and everything they enjoyed, I mean everything, from every breath, 
to every smell, to every sight, to everything around the garden, everything they enjoyed, they did not work for it. They did not make it. They hadn't touched a thing yet. God says, look, I made all this for you. I did all the work. Now you just relax with me and enjoy it. Just accept it. Just appreciate it. And that was the gospel message. Righteousness by faith. Pictured right there at creation. Pictured in the Sabbath. Pictured in the first angel of Revelation 14. We want to experience that today. We want to believe in Jesus today. We don't want to have that false picture of God that will lead us down a wrong pathway to have a character that is not like God. Romans 1 warns us that people who reject God as creator eventually trickle down to worship humans instead of God, to put their faith in man instead of God. Today, let's not let that happen. Amen? Today, let's choose Jesus. Today, let's worship the Lord and remember His sacrifice for us. And as we partake of the communion here today, let's remember what Jesus has done for us in giving His life on Calvary. As we wash feet today, let's remember the cleansing that Jesus provides for us. Jesus washed the feet of His disciples and He, he cleansed them, washed them clean. I'm so glad that we serve a God who cleans us up along our dusty journey of life, aren't you? So let's pray and put our faith in Jesus this morning. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your wonderful love. Thank you for Jesus and the powerful gospel, the everlasting gospel that transforms us as we believe by faith. Today, Lord, we want to put our faith and trust in you, and we pray that you will guide us in all things here as we continue the service, especially to partake of the emblems of communion and to wash one another's feet after the example of Jesus in John 13. So we just pray you'll guide us in all these things, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. It's been great having you as a listener. May God richly bless your day. I look forward to having you join me for the next podcast. Blessings and take care.